It's been a minute since I've talked in a microphone. Um, I just want to, first off, just thank you guys for being here. Also, just love Underwood, Erica and I do. Uh, getting plugged in with the men's group has been just so great for me as a man, as a husband, and uh, as soon to be as a father. Some of you know that we're going through the adoption process, and so I'm just so excited to have mentors in my life from these groups. Uh, this is also the first time for me that I've ever been a, a part of a man's group, and it's just being surrounded by a man my age, but also older, has allowed me to get deeper in the word and um, just my spiritual life is just elevated and it's funny because when I got with, into the men's group uh, Mr. Sam Livingston invited me uh, and started going regularly one of the things that happened is I came home to Erica and we were I was telling my family that it was part of a small men's group and I kept repeating that and when I got off the phone uh, with my family Erica said it sounds like you're in a group with a lot of small men. She's like, it's a men's small group. So I've tried to uh, correct that since. But um, as Brother Doug pointed out, uh, my name is Hunter Waldman. I'm a professor at UNA. And the testimony I'll share with you, I, it's not scripted. I always get asked that, are you, do you know what you're going to say? And uh, the truth is, is I don't. I don't know what I'm about to tell you right now. I kind of know how it starts off, and then I kind of go down rabbit holes, and eventually we always get to uh, the end, uh, which is awesome, and that's really uh, what I'm excited to share with you. But um, it's uh, it's interesting because getting up here and talking a, a testimony in you know 45 minutes, 50 minutes, um, it's it's tough. It's tough, but it's good because I hope that some of you can relate to some of the stories, and that's what I pray and. When, when we share our testimonies, um, one thing I would ask is that sometimes the individuals, such as myself, when we get up here and talk, it, it can't, the stories can be extreme, and you may not be able to relate to those, and that's okay. We all have our own story. Uh, it's not for you to try and compare your story to mine or me to yours, and the, the stories I do share with you that, that I went through, um, those are what I went through, and that's what God, uh, that's the path that he outlined for me to go. Uh, so I just want you to know that, you know, if I've had people come up to me after I've shared my testimony, I've given my testimony at many churches, prisons, uh, I've gone to, uh, I, I do it every semester at, at these at-risk uh, groups where kids are at risk for gang, getting into gangs or drugs or falling out of school, and I go and talk to them and, and I always have some students come up or somebody comes up and they're like, well, you know, I just, I never went through that. And I'm like, hey, that's fine. It's not, it's not about that. It's not, we're not trying to compare stories to each other. It's the goal for me tonight is to glorify God and show you where he took me from A to B and where I am today. So just keep that in mind as I share this. So um, I am originally from Los Angeles, California, or a certain testimony now, originally from Los Angeles, California. I've got a sister, so I'm 32. She is 30, about to be 31. She's about a year and a half younger than I am. And my mom, just to start off, she had uh, two or three abortions before she had me. And then she was gonna, I was going to be the next abortion. And then she said that uh, an angel came to her in a dream. And she said that uh, that angel told her to keep me. So she kept me. And then she kept, yes, hallelujah. hallelujah and she kept uh, my sister as well. Uh, my dad and my mom were pretty hardcore 
uh, alcoholics, and mom still is. Uh, dad, I'm not so sure. We don't talk too much. Uh, but the alcoholism and the money issues led to uh, them getting a divorce. And then we ended up, me and Haley, when I was about three and Haley was two, we ended up traveling the U.S. We moved to Colorado, uh, Texas, New York. I think we ended up back in California for a little bit. And eventually we ended up in Alabama. And I always get asked, how did you end up in Alabama? And specifically, Chilton County, Clanton, where the big peach is and the big sign which before social media, it was just, we all just knew it was there, but the one that says, go to church or the devil will get you that everybody shares on Instagram. Um, so my mom's uh, mom, who was a truck driver, she lived there and she wanted to be closer to her. So we end up in Clanton, Alabama, and mom ends up dating a guy, his name was Carl. And I don't have many memories of Carl, but I do have one memory. Carl was, um, extremely abusive physically to Haley and I. And so I was three, Haley's two. And one of the memories I have is we would, after school or daycare, we'd go to my great grandma's house. And she usually wasn't home, but they would drop us off. And then Carl was always supposed to come pick us up. But mom was at work, she worked two jobs. And then Carl would come and he would beat Haley or I. Uh, and there's a way to beat people where it doesn't leave a mark. You could put bar of soap in a sock and hit kids or people, and there are no bruises that get left. And so one of the memories I have is that he came home, and Haley and I were terrified, and we saw his truck pull up, and we ran into, I think, the master bedroom, and we got under the bed. And Carl comes walking through and he's looking for us. And the door is open and we watch his feet pass. And then, and I've kind of got my hand over Haley's mouth. And then he comes back and Haley lets out a gasp. And he hears us and he, he comes in the room and he gets down on all fours. And I remember seeing his face. I remember Haley beside me and I'm, again, I'm three or maybe, maybe four. And uh, he's for some reason, really like to physically beat Haley. And so I remember he reaches under there for her. I bite his hand. He hits me. I black out and I wake up and then Haley's at the hospital. She had a 10% chance of surviving. Uh, he broke almost every bone in her body. And yeah, it was tough. Uh, it was really tough. We ended up, Haley ended up pulling through and mom left Carl uh, but then she ended up marrying another guy. His name was Joe. And I'll leave. I know I'm being recorded, so I'll leave last names out. But Joe, um, Joe was physically abusive, but this time it was to my mom, and it wasn't to us. And he was a big-time NASCAR guy. That's why I won't watch NASCAR to this day. And at the time, he was a big Jeff Gordon fan. And I don't know if that guy still races or not, but if he does, he was a big Jeff Gordon fan. He didn't win a lot at the time. And so Joe would get... Uh, just hammered he would just he was always drinking and he would watch he would drink and watch NASCAR and when Jeff Gordon would lose uh, he would beat mom and we lived in a little double wide trailer and we had this uh, I won't ever forget we had this L section couch and it was a little scooted off of the wall and I remember Jeff Gordon lost and he went and, uh, I think he was pouring milk because I remember him throwing the gallon of milk against the wall and it bursting and Haley and I, so we're a little older at this point, and we knew, okay, Joe's, Joe's about to get physical. So I remember 
we ran behind the L couch and we sat behind the corner. So we're behind the couch and then mom and Joe are on the other side and I can just hear uh, Joe just obviously just beating her. And I remember holding Haley, uh, probably five or six at this time I am, I remember holding her and I, we, we hear mom getting beat on the other side of the couch and I just remember telling Haley I would just take care of her. I, she would never have to worry about anything that I, as her big brother, would would take care of her. And we're not being raised in church, and you know, so this is like my childhood. This is to me, this was just this is what all the kids go through. I I didn't know any better, but I do remember I, at that moment just being like, if if someone's going to take care of her, it's going to have to be me because clearly this situation is not going to work out. So I grew up pretty quick. Um, we ended up getting put in foster care for a couple of months after that. And then mom ended up getting, getting us back. But I remember in foster care, uh, which is why the adoption process is so close to me. But I remember in foster care sitting on the steps and the house that we were in, uh, there were probably 12 or 14 kids and they were just being able to put enough food on the table for five or six of the kids. So it became pretty quick. If you're going to eat, you got to get pretty, pretty violent pretty quickly. And so I started to learn how to become violent at a very young age. Not only was I surrounded by it, uh, but I'm also um, kind of being forced to do it pretty, again, pretty early. Uh, kind of that nature versus nurture. Not a lot of nurture, but nature's telling me one way to act. So uh, I remember we, uh, after making sure we got our food, I remember Haley and I were sitting on the steps. And I remember thinking, this is what life is going to look like. I'm going to have to do some violent things growing up to make sure we eat, to make sure that we get through what this life looks like. So mom gets us back, and then we uh, were still living in Clanton, and then uh, and she's still married to Joe at this time. And the reason this sticks out is because now I'm about eight or nine. And a couple things happen around this time. One, Joe ends up hiring a babysitter for us, while they go out and this babysitter, she was a teenager, probably 14, 15, I'm eight. And so she sexually abuses me. Um, so, and of course that's tough, tough to talk about, it's tough to even think about. And I don't hold any grudges and I've forgiven her. But, you know, at eight or nine, a couple things have happened at this point. And so I'm, I'm, I remember being afraid of men, grown men. Just because of what I had seen, I was afraid of them. And now my, other than my mom and sister, the first woman I've been really introduced to does this. And so now I remember I'm afraid of women and men. It was, kind of, it was a real weird position to be in. And we're not going to church. And I remember going to a friend's house. This is just kind of this is how lost I was as a kid. I remember going to a friend's house. And there were several of us. And we were playing like angels and demons and we were, it was just like almost like uh, soldiers and Indians, whatever you, you call it. But I remember thinking everybody wanted to be this angel. And I remember th I thought Lucifer was the good guy. So I was like, I want to be the devil. Honestly, I thought that was, that was the good guy. I was like, why don't all the other kids want to be this, this person? And now thinking back, it's like, man, they probably thought I was a crazy kid. They probably told their parents, I may not have ever been able to go back there. I don't remember, but that happened. The sexual abuse happened. And that went on for a little bit of time until uh, Joe and mom got divorced. And then uh, that babysitter was no longer being hired. Uh, but the other thing that happened is there was a, there was a man that came into my life, uh, Danny Vesey. 
And he is the one that really got me plugged in with football and baseball and basketball and all the different sports. And he wasn't my dad. He wasn't my stepdad, but he became like a dad to me. A good friend of mine, Justin Vesey, uh, it was his dad. But Danny took me in like I was his own. And again, to have a father figure for the first time, uh, to, be, to show me how to pitch. I was a pitcher in baseball. He's the one that showed me how to throw a baseball. But I tell you these things because Mr. Danny and his wife, they went through a divorce. And during that divorce, uh, the, Justin's mom told Danny, hey, you can't see your son anymore. You, you need to, until this divorce is finalized, no more. So Danny latched on to me. His, you know, I wasn't his son, but I was like a son to him. And he was like a father to me. And then um, after a baseball game, this is like Pee Wee, I don't even know the name, Youth League maybe. And um, after a game one night, mom and I are walking home. We're walking to the car, and Danny comes up to tell me good job. He was my coach. I just remember mom pulling him off to the side. I'm not hearing too much, but I kind of walk up to see what's going on, and I hear her say, you can't be around Hunter anymore until the divorce is finalized. I don't want you around him at all. So we go home. And he kills himself that night. <laughs> he commits suicide. So um, what's crazy is I didn't even know his name was Danny. I just remember I was at home. Haley and I got into a little bit of an argument. And mom comes in and uh, she just screamed something at me about Danny killed himself. And that we needed to stop fighting. I, I remember thinking, I was like, who's Danny? I had no idea. I didn't know his first name. I called him Mr. Veezy. So anyways, I, I remember being at his funeral. Um, and that was tough. So... Again, young age, and uh, just seeing a lot of a, a lot of the harder side of life, I would say. And then mom gets married again. I've had, by the way, I've had like eight or nine stepdads. I've had a lot. Uh, she gets married again, and this guy also very physically abusive, but not to Haley and I'm. I'm into football at this point, and if you've ever seen Friday Night Lights, this one always sticks out uh, with this individual. But uh, they put me in as a running back. Again, I'm a little kid. If anybody in here has a son, I mean, picture a seven or eight-year-old and then picture this happening. So they try me out at running back, scrimmage game, not a big deal. I fumble. Okay. He had been drinking. We get home super late at night. I remember I was just so tired. I was so tired from the jamboree. Um, and he makes me, back then, I don't know if they still do this, but back then you had to take your pads and helmet and everything home. So I'm thinking I'm going to bed. It's like 10, 30, 11 at night. And he tells me to go put my stuff on. And I said, okay, I don't want to. I, I don't know what we're going to do. You know, maybe, maybe we'll just throw, you know, throw the football back and forth. No. He makes me put all my stuff on, helmet, pads. I'm probably the size of that water bottle right there. And he, he tapes the football in my hands. And he puts me out back, and mom's freaking out, but he's like, don't worry about it. I'm going to teach him how not to fumble. So he just tells me, he's just, and he's totally drunk, and he tells me, he's like, run at me as hard as you can. Grown man, 200-plus pounds. And I'm just, like, terrified. Again, I'm, I'm terrified of people, pe both sexes at this point, I'm terrified of. And he says, run at me as hard as you can. And I, so I run at him, and he just levels me. I remember thinking, I remember almost like blacking out and kind of waking up. And I remember him picking me up and putting me on my feet, and then we we get a distance, and he and we do that for almost probably an hour, probably an hour, because it was almost midnight before I went back to bed. So 
Yeah, I mean that it was just tough. I mean it was just a tough child. You can kind of start seeing, yeah, not a not a great childhood. So we end up moving to Clay Chalkville. I was actually telling uh, my table that I played football up there. We end up we end up moving up to Clay Chalkville, and while we're there, mom gets married again. Uh, this guy, um, she's not only getting married, not only is she married, and I love my mom. She's awesome. Uh, she comes from a rough upbringing too, and this isn't a testimony of look at what, how my mom messed up. That's not it at all. She did the best with what she could, um, but there were some mistakes there for sure. And so she was married, but she was having an affair, and the guy she was having an affair with was a cokehead. And I'm probably 12 or 13 at this time. And so there's a lot of drugs. Everybody's still alcoholics, a lot of alcohol. That's why I don't drink. Uh, at the, I didn't drink at, at the time because of all the what I had seen that alcohol would do. Now it's just because of who I am. Just as a Christian man, I'm just I'm not going to drink. But uh, I'd grown up around all this alcohol. I grew up around uh, drug, different drugs of choice. And while I'm in clay chalk full, uh, it's probably when I got my first phone, but I stumbled across, I remember I stumbled across a, a DVD, a pornography DVD. And so I was probably the ideal candidate for pornography. Not only was I a young man, I'm terrified of people. So I kind of in my room a lot. Uh, I've been sexually abused. And now what I know about physiology, just how that rewires the brain, it, it, became i remember watching it not really knowing what i was watching but i remember watching it and i remember my brain immediately latched on to that and for about seven or eight years starting around 12 or 13 that was a big problem for me um i think it's important to share that because i can talk up here i'm going to talk about some other stuff here in a second you're not most of you won't be able to relate to that but What's interesting is I can get up here and I don't have an issue talking about things I've struggled with, but I can talk to men one-on-one -on -one and pornography, lust. Those are things that so many of us either struggle with or have struggled with. And it's the one thing I find to be taboo. I'm rather new to the church. I didn't grow up in church. Like I said, I thought the devil was the good guy. So, but I don't understand why... Uh, we aren't more open about that. Why we weren't sharing that amongst men, amongst each other. We need help. That is one thing. I mean, just again, physiology, that's what I study. I know how it rewires the brain. I know the dopamine response that it, that happens when you look at stuff like that. And there is a way out. You can be saved. You can you can turn away from that stuff. But it's important to, uh, to be open with one another, to share what we struggle with. And that's the one thing when I talk to men one on one, it's the one thing that I'm like, man, you can't relate to my gang background or these, you know, the other stuff I'm, you know, I've already talked about. But that is one thing that men in here right now can relate to. And it doesn't help that I wasn't even going to talk about this, but it doesn't help that we all have a little phone that you can just access it anytime. And social media, that's why I don't have social media. It, it, for men, as soon as you hit on the social media that you're a male, the algorithm starts throwing that stuff at you. If you find yourself looking at that by yourself at all, you need to get rid of that stuff. I'm telling you guys, it's, it's ruining, it's ruining marriages and it's ruining men in the, in the church. And man, I just, I see us all on our phone and just anyways, anyways, come off that. So I'm because I'm, Definitely, I become uh, addicted to porn as a teenager. 
And so I've got that going. And around that time, um, again, mom's working a lot. She ends up getting a divorce. We end up moving back to Clinton. And turns out that we don't have anywhere to live. So we end up living with uh, my grandparents. And now we're in another double wide, which is fine. Uh, but they they didn't really have anywhere for us to live, they nowhere to sleep. And I remember, so I'm in 12, 13, I guess that'd be middle school. Um, but I remember I was sleeping on the floor. They had a lot of, in, they still to this day have a lot of inside dogs. And I remember laying on the floor and they're like, okay, you're going to sleep here on this carpet. And then here's a pillow and you're going to go to school the next day and everything's supposed to be normal. And I remember I rolled off, I won't ever forget that, I rolled off the pillow onto the carpet and I remember smelling this dog urine in my face. It was just right there. And I remember just smelling it as this kid. And and I remember thinking, and Haley, seeing all this, Haley's off at juvie now. She's in juvie school. So she, I don't even have my sister. And I remember smelling this urine in the floor and thinking, this is my life. This is, this is just what life's going to be like. And I started understanding. You know, at this time, I started to see, I've got friends who've taken their lives I didn't have any suicidal thoughts, but I definitely think, man, life's going to be tough and I'm going to have to be tough as well. And so uh, my family in California, this is kind of where the gang starts coming in. My family in California, uh, I, got, I end up, I would go see my dad every summer. I'd go out there for a little bit of time. And um, anyway, so I was going out there that summer. I was 13. And dad moved around a lot, and my side of the family, his side of the family is Mexican. So my grandfather's from uh, Juarez, right outside Juarez. They came to this country, and anyways, uh, I'm, I'm out there. I've got a godfather. They're, they're Catholic, but they're not really Catholic. They say they are, but that's where the godfather part comes in. And I'm around these individuals, and all of a sudden I start to find out that my side of the family out, out west, deep history and gang, gang history. Um, again, we got the Mexican side, very rich in gang history. And this isn't, you know, I start to find out this isn't like, uh, you're talking like 70s, 80s, 90s LA gang history, like Compton, Crenshaw. These are some, and if you don't, don't aren't familiar with that, that's okay. But you're talking about, you got to be cool about the colors you wear into certain neighborhoods. You got to be cool about how you talk, the language that you use. And so I'm finding out, hey, this is what our history looks like out West. And my grandma, my grandma, sweet, loving grandma, who's an artist, all of a sudden I find out she had done some really bad things. She was one of the most feared gangbangers out West as a woman. And I just, I'm just finding all this out. So I find all this out. I'm hearing about my grandfather, uh, my godfather, my uncle, full-fledged gangbanger. He's at now in Birmingham at this time. And so I'm like, I'm, totally invested in this because to me it sounds like a family it's kind of how it was taught to me it's a family and it's a way to really just have a lot of influence on people whether that's through violence and fear and these are just things that were attractive to me as a 13 year old uh, because I had no I felt like I had no control over my life everything and not only no control uh, but also felt that you know, being afraid of men and being afraid of women. I needed a way to make people afraid of me. So I come back. We end up moving. We leave Clanton to go to Dothan, Dothan, Alabama. That's where I end up finishing high school. And when I'm in Dothan, mom's gotten remarried again. 
and again and again. And while I'm in Dothan, uh, it's one of those things that if you want to find it, you just go. It doesn't matter what city you're in. Here in Florence, you seek it out, you'll find it. Turns out Dothan, Alabama is a hotbed for criminal activity because I-10 runs right south of it. I-65 is right above it. So I-65 take you right up to Chicago. I-10 take you over to Atlanta, Houston, all the way to L.A. Oh, it's perfect. Uh, down to Miami, it, it's, it's all right there in the Dothan area. So I'm in Dothan, and I end up seeking out these individuals. I'm like, this is kind of the route I think I want to go. And I find it. I find, and I know I'm being recorded. So I am going to be careful about what I talk about. There's some things I'm just not going to even talk about with you guys tonight. Uh, it's just not important either. Uh, but so I ended up seeking out these uh, just very bad individuals. You know, we were talking in my men's group. We were talking about how I thought I, at 13, 14, I thought I was tough. Um, there's a difference in being tough and then being mean and being evil. And I found very mean and evil people. Uh, people that now are either dead because of what they were doing or they're in prison for murder. And um, just to give you a couple of these stories. So, and I let me say this, I was gang affiliated. I was never gang initiated. That's a big difference. Uh, but I was running around with one of the main gangs in the U.S. There's a couple of them, but I was running around with Hoovers and Pyrus and Gangster Disciples. And if you don't know who those are, that's fine. Uh, but I'm running around with these different individuals and a couple stories that just kind of stick out in my mind. Uh, one, I remember going into a very well-known drug house. And I walk in and there's several gangbangers sitting around the table. And on the table, and it's a shame, Matt. Matt Daniels is not here, is he? No. Uh, so many of you know Matt Daniels. Matt Daniels and I went to the same high school, and Matt Daniels knows some of these individuals I'm talking about. Uh, so it's always interesting when he, when I give my testimony and he's here. It's such a small world to be back here uh, in Florence when Matt and I, Matt knew me before I was saved. Matt knew me back in the gangbanger days. So anyways, I go inside this house, and I'm around this table, and there's money, $100 bills stacked. I remember they were stacked so high. I've never seen so much money. We always struggled with money. My best friend at the time, his mom was essentially a prostitute. I remember always being at her house. I remember looking in the fridge with Bobby. Bobby uh, is a Marine now, and his brother ended up killing himself uh, at a young age. But I remember me and Bobby were in this house, and his mom's doing her thing. A lot of violence in that house as well. And I remember opening up the fridge, and I just remember seeing a six-pack and an old thing of moldy cheese. And I remember thinking, I remember talking to Bobby. We're, again, 13, 14. I remember think, thinking, what are we going to eat? He was like, we just got to go find it. <laughs> so we did. And I remember being in this house and seeing all this money. And uh, one of the main guys, he's like, hey, we're going we're gonna to step out. You just sit right here. Here's a gun in case somebody comes in. Okay. Um, and he says, we'll be right back. And so I'm sitting there and I'm seeing all this money. I remember thinking, man, what if I just took one $100 bill, just one, and just put it in my pocket? They'd never know. They're, it's the most money I've ever seen. But I was so scared of what they would do to me if I, if I did that. I didn't. But there was a guy, I ended up going, I remember walking into the kitchen just to get away from the money. And I walked into the kitchen. This guy was heating something up. To this day, I have no idea what drug it was, but he was heating it up in a microwave. And as soon as it came out, he snorted it. Probably five minutes later, he falls on the kitchen floor, 
He starts convulsing, foaming at the eyes and mouth and ears, nose, just foam everywhere. It's just coming out. And I'm freaking out. Now I'm thinking, hey, we got to get this guy help. The guys come back in. They just point at him. They laugh at him. And they just leave him there. I don't know what happened to him. So that one happened. I remember uh, I started asking too many questions. I'm, I'm interested in this, this major gang I was running around with. I'm interested in more, knowing more about it. I was asking questions. I'm working, by the way, at this time. And I get a phone call while I'm at work. And the phone call is essentially from this guy. His name's Bird. Pretty sure he's in prison for murder now. Uh, he was in prison. He may have gotten out. But anyways, his street name was Bird. And Bird calls me up. He's like, hey, I know you're asking questions. And you just need to know we're tired of you poking around. We're going to take care of you when you come out. So when you come out of work, you're done. I said, all right. Hang up. And I remember having to, so my shift ends, and I remember having to make this mental decision of, hey, I'm going to walk out of these doors, and that's probably going to be it. These are serious dudes. They, these are, I learned pretty quickly that around these individuals, you don't talk a lot. If you like to talk and if you like to be heard, you don't last. Those individuals will not be around. You have to learn to become much more observant. You, you can't just talk when it, something comes to your mind. You just, you don't do well. I remember getting punched in the mouth because I said the wrong word around the wrong gang, the wrong word. There's a way to talk. I remember uh, there's a handshake that I learned later. I messed the handshake up. I got knocked out for that. These are things that, you know, it's just, it's hard to get across to people to understand just like the violent nature of this, of, of these individuals. So I have to make the decision, mental decision, like, Hey, I'm going to probably not going to be here, but I've got to leave this place at some point they are closing up. So I remember walking out and to be 15 and you've already made this decision, like I'm going to die. Uh, that's a tough thing to mentally come to terms with. My, nobody was there. So anyways, ended up going home, but I, I thought on that a lot. Uh, I ended up getting a gang tattoo on my back. It's a funny story because I didn't know how tattoos worked. It was my first one. I'm 15 years of age. I find this guy. He does the tattoo. It's a six-pointed crown on an L.A. sign, if you want to look that up. Um, it's the six-pointed crown, which is key. But uh, he takes me in. He takes me down to the bottom of his basement. And he has me uh, hold this pillow. And he has me, like, hug it. And I just hang over this stool while he does pretty much my entire back. And he did it with uh, his tattoo machine he called it frankenstein because he built it from spare parts well, the problem was first off i didn't know anything about this is just me just being dumb i didn't it's a needle i have no idea if it was a clean needle or not i know i'm i have no issues but at the time i had never even thought about that um and he didn't adjust it so it went way too deep. It's only tattoo should only hit the first layer of skin. He went through all three layers. Well, it's also on my back. So when he hit my spine, I remember my legs went numb for a minute. So he gets done. He puts this big gang symbol on my back. I have a white shirt on. I put the white shirt over. I go home and I walk by mom. Hey mom, hope you're doing all right. I was going back to my room and she loses her mind. Turns out you bleed after a tattoo and so the entire sign was on my, in blood on my white t-shirt. And so it was not good. And so a couple other things happened. I remember, um, ended up, um, we were at 
I don't remember the location, but there was a guy who there was actually another crew. They had a different gang, different gang, and we ended up getting to a scuffle with them. Uh, very common. But one of the things that ended up happening was is the guy that I got into a scuffle with, uh, he was killed the next day. And I remember thinking it just I remember how much that just broke my heart, thinking that his last hours on this earth were me and him getting into a fight. It did not go well for him. And then the next day he's killed. He's not here anymore. And I, I never can tell that guy, I'm sorry. I, I never can take that back. That's something I have to this day. It's something I still sometimes will think about. Um, I had, uh, you know, we had this other stepdad. This is like one of the last stepdads I end up having to live under. But so all that was going on. And this guy's name's Ron. And Ron to the community, he was the perfect-esque Christian man. Uh, if anybody, if, you, if you're in Dothan, Alabama, and you're thinking of who is just, who represents the church so well in the community, it's Ron. Mom ends up marrying Ron. Well, it turns out behind closed doors, Ron was not a good person. In fact, he was the worst of all the stepdads I had because he didn't physically beat anybody. Mentally, he beat all of us down all the time. Turned out the way Ron made a living was he would get into car wrecks on purpose with people and sue their company or insurance, however that works, and he would get money for his opioid addiction he had behind closed doors. Um, he quite often would get mom in these weird moods, and then if she got angry, he would. I remember him throwing scripture out all the time. Remember, I'm not going to church, so I'm hearing this individual throw scripture out left and right. And I remember how he was just beating mom down. And I remember getting in, we kind of got into it one night, and mom was begging me. She said, Hunter, if you hit him, he will sue us. He'll sue us for everything we have. Please don't. Well, one night, he's driving. He's essentially at this point, he's driven mom almost to the edge of insanity. And I say that not jokingly because I remember he had left, and I'm asleep, and I hear all this noise out in the living room, and I ended up coming out there. And mom is taking the t kitchen table, and she, by herself, small woman, she's moved it up against the, uh, the front door, and she's jammed a chair up under it, and she's pacing the house. She's just totally out of her mind. I've never seen her like this. And she's telling me, he can't come back here. He can't come back here, yada, yada. And he ends up coming back. He ends up breaking into the house. And I end up, and he ends up convincing. He had left to go get members from the church, his church that he went to. He brings them back to the house, and he convinces these individuals that my mom is possessed, and she needs an exorcism. So they lay her on the table to do an exorcism on my mom, and they end up running her, rushing her. Like I remember these two men had her arms, and Ron's leading them to his truck, and they take her to the church. I stay up the whole night. I'm panicked. He's in good with the police there. I call the police. No one's listening. She comes back 2 a.m. And I remember it just looked like she had been drugged. She just comes in. She won't acknowledge me. She's not talking. She just drags herself to the bed and she goes to sleep. Well, it wasn't a couple nights later that they get into it and he's getting very aggressive with mom. And my brain says, that's it. We're done. I go get the shotgun and I've made the decision at this point. I'm going to kill him. I'm, I'm going to shoot this man, and we're going to be done with this. Making the mental decision to take another man's life, again, 15, 16 years of age at this point, 
um, was it's just it's a different. I've already made this decision that or had to check off that I'm not going to make it when I walk outside the doors. Nothing happened. Now I've had to make this mental decision as a young teenager that I'm going to take another man's life. I've got the shotgun. It's not even an issue. The only thing I'm worried about at this point is my mom and sister seeing what's about to occur. Mom comes and grabs me. She knows what's happening. She puts me in the room. She says, please don't. I'll handle this. I'll call the cops. And I remember having this shotgun and I'm walking in my room, just pacing back and forth. And I remember just trying to decide, am I going to go out there and take care of Ron or I'm going to stay in here? Because I'm taking care of him is no more an issue for me. I'm going to do it. It's just a matter of how do I do this without Haley and mom? Because I've given up on my future. I'm just not even worried about it at this point. I had a lot of from sexual abuse to having no house to everything else that's gone on. I've, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm wrapped up with everything. So it works out. Ron leaves. Uh, mom comes to him, ended up putting the gun. I remember going to sleep. Around this time, now I'm a, I'm also playing sports, and I bring that up. I'm, I play football, basketball, uh, baseball, and that's how I came to know me and Matt Daniels, who goes here. Uh, he's also the director of the BCM. Matt is going to – he goes to my high school, and we hang out with two totally separate people. That, if you know Matt Daniels, Matt Daniels was not hanging out with these people that I was hanging out with. And I didn't know Matt. I just knew of him. He was a great older than me, but uh, – I didn't, we didn't know each other. And, but apparently a lot of people knew of me. A lot of people were really scared of me in high school. Probably makes sense. If you saw the people I was running around with, well, Matt comes up to me and there was a lady I was attracted to in high school. And, uh, Matt comes up to me. He's like, Hey man, we want to me and another guy named bunk. So he says, um, bunk was the quarterback. He says, we want to invite you to church camp. I'm like, no. And he says, well, the girl that you like, and here's something real quick. I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard uh, where men get up here and they get to church or church camp because the woman they liked was also there. And it's just fascinating. I'm just like, God just knows how to work just work us to get us there. So Matt says, well, turns out that, you know, Kay, she's going to be there. She's going to be at the church camp. I'm like, okay, okay. And he says, yeah, it, I said, okay, well, I will go. And I will go to the seven-day church camp. I'm not even going to this church. It turns out it was uh, about three or $400. Of course, I don't have that. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going anymore. And Matt says, don't worry about it. It's already been, we, people have taken care of, care of it. They've already paid for it. I have, in t until about, I gave my, what was it? A couple months ago, Josh, that I gave my testimony to Sunday school. Up until a couple months ago, I had no idea who paid for it until then. And then Matt, I asked Matt. Matt was in the room, and I said, Matt, do you know? Turns out his dad and Bunk's dad split the cost. And they were like father figures to me in high school. Mr. Steve, Bunk's dad, passed away from cancer. Uh, Matt's dad, Mr. Harry, he's still alive and kicking, doing well. But they were father figures to me uh, later on in high school. So yeah, it was pretty crazy. Just hit just to see how this all played out. But they told me, they said, Hey, it's been covered. Costs have been covered. You're good to go. I said, awesome. Going. Kay's going. I'm going. So I go and it's, um, the church camp was called go tell. And so if you've ever heard of it, it's in Georgia, was in Georgia. I'm not sure where it's held anymore. Thousands and thousands of kids. And I remember every night we'd come together. So church activities during the day. I'm not sure how it goes, but I'm kind of getting an idea. I'm kind of getting to learn everybody that's there. 
and every night it would conclude in like an uh, almost like a stadium seating uh, like this but again like a stadium and they'd bring out some cr big christian band and they'd play and the band was uh matt redmond so if you know who matt Red, I, I don't know if he still plays but he was a big deal at the time i'd never heard of him i'm listening to like gangster rap Pac and biggie and some old school stuff so i, I don't even know who these individuals are but I, everybody around me is going crazy i'm like okay so at the end of the concert the individual would come up, uh, the main guy that led it, and every night he would say, if you, uh, if you know God's pulling on your heart, if you know God's uh, talking to you, uh, he had this little spiel he'd give. He's like, you know, just come up here. Come up here, and we'll, we'll put you with somebody, and we'll talk to you about how, how you can become a Christian. We'll talk to you about uh, how you can turn your life around. And, and so every night he would come out, and he would give this, this little talk and i remember feeling not not immediately but man but probably by night two or three it got stronger and stronger and stronger this feeling on my heart that man just i feel like i need to go up there but pride kept me seated for sure i was like i'm not going to be the individual who gets up there and walks up there and shows he needs to turn his life around and he's weak and and I remember I was angry. I was so angry. I'd, I'd believed in a God, um, at you know, as a as a kid, but I wasn't religious at all. Uh, I, I didn't follow any kind of. We didn't go to church. We didn't follow any kind of Buddhism or Hindu. There was none of that. I just, I just in my own personal life, I believed in God, but I was angry. I was so angry thinking back on my life. And I remember every night I was just have I was wrestling with God, and I just was. In, in mentally just thinking like why just why me why did i have to go through all this if you really love me why did i have to go through everything why did my mom have to go through everything why did Haley have to go through everything it just didn't make sense i didn't have anybody to talk to me about this stuff and so it goes on and on and on and then the last night last night i still haven't come up to the front but by this point in my head i'm like i need to go up there but i can't i'm way too prideful I'm going to sit in my seat and we're going to be done with this. And then who knows? And so he comes up, but he changes it. The guy comes up and he gives us talk, but he changes it. He says, all right, night, tonight's last night. So he said, but I know there's some people still out there that need to come up here. He said, so, and me and Matt were not sitting beside each other. If I was on that side, he was way over here on this side. And he said, if you know of somebody that is in this room that needs to come up here, I want you to go grab them. And I want you to bring them down to the front. And of course, everybody's supposed to have their head down and, and eyes closed. I'm like looking around. And I remember I see Matt Daniels get up out of his seat. <laughs> and I was like, Matt, you better not come touch me, man. You better not. I remember thinking, Matt, do not come touch my shoulder. And I see Matt just walking just all the way down. And he grabs my shoulder. But there was no resistance from me. Because I wanted to go down there. I just needed matt daniels i needed god to lead him to come get me they lead me down to the matt leads me down to the front matt goes back to his seat and then they put me with somebody but immediately because there's a band matt redmond's up here playing thousands of kids all of that went totally silent and all of a sudden i just remember i just closed my eyes and i, I remember there's an individual here who was praying for me but in my head i'm going back to the why why me? Why did all of this happen? And all of a sudden, it was just like, I mean, to this day, 
oh, if I ever have doubts about stuff, I'll always go back to this, you know, just this time. And I remember just clear as day, I just remember hearing, why not you? I chose you to go. It was just like somebody was talking to me in my ear. I chose you to go through this so you could share the story with other people because I knew that when you got out to the other side, I knew you would be able to carry the story and share with others and people would be able to relate. And just, and there are some things I still don't know to this day, you know, some things I still think about, but I have so much faith in that just moment of hearing that everything, all of the things that I was angry about, all from Danny killing himself to the sexual abuse, the pornography, the gang violence, all the stuff going on, all of that went away. I, I didn't, I didn't hold, it was just like a, a weight was lifted off my shoulder. And I remember thinking like, a verse came to my mind. Don't want to miss this part. A verse came to my mind. I'm not in the Bible at all at this time. I never heard of this verse. I didn't even know this. To this day, if you Sunday morning, Brother Doug says, turn to Matthew. I have to turn to the, I have to go page one and figure out what page that's on. I have to flip to it to get to it. Ecclesiastes 3.1. Didn't even know. It comes up. To everything there is a season, a purpose for everything under heaven. I remember that verse. I remember that scripture coming to me and just all of a sudden just knowing God has a reason for everything that goes on. And you may not know what it is. There have been some things that have gone on since then that I just, of course, I'm just like, why is this going on? But I go back to that verse and I go back to that time where God spoke to me, a gangbanger doing some very bad stuff, going down a very dark hole. Most of those individuals who Matt also knows are either dead or in prison I would be there, right there with them, and I turned my life around. I gave my life to Christ, turned it around, turned everything around, let go of the anger, the resentment, all the stuff. Came out of that prayer. This individual who's in front of me was still praying over me, but I had come out of this, this almost trance-like state with God. And so I ended up going back home. The, the event ends I know I'm saved. I've given my life at that moment, talking with God in my brain, gave my life to God, said, I will do whatever, whatever I need to, whatever I need to. And, but I always tell people, even when I've gone to prisons and in these areas, I say, you know, spiritually I had been forgiven, but in the earthly world, there were still some things I had to do. It wasn't just like, oh, let's Hunter just comes back and everybody just forgives them for everything that's going on. The gangbangers I was hanging around, I had to talk to them. I'm very thankful I had not been initiated. That's a big thing. If I had been initiated, Hunter's not just walking away. He's just not. Um, but I wasn't. So I was able to cut ties there. My, I remember my gang, uh, the CDs I had, the just very hardcore CD. I tossed all those. Pornography stopped. All the bad stuff. I remember we, you know, we still had a stepdad who was a very... Uh, just mean person, but I remember having to just think, I, I got to detach. I got to detach from this situation. I need to go to church. I need to get plugged in, which I did. That's how me and Matt became close. That's why me and Matt Daniels became roommates up here at UNA. It's how I got up here to UNA. Matt came up here first. They called to come, me to come up here to play ball, and me and Matt Daniels became roommates. It's such a small world. Uh, and just, just a sidestep real quick to show how small of a world it is and God just working things out. I end up finishing school at UNA, end up going and doing my grad schooling at Mississippi State. Matt Daniels goes down to Mobile to finish his grad schooling. 
we end up getting jobs back here at Florence in UNA. Neither one of us know we're back here yet. Uh, I'm going to another church. Sam and Miss Kim move in right next to us. And where we are going, we, we are having a very hard time getting plugged in. And Eric and I are like, we just miss the community. We miss the community. That's what church has been so important for us. Uh, one of the big reasons is the community, the men that I'm surrounded by in here. And Sam invites us. He says, hey, uh, hey, there's a beast feast. I'd wanted to be a Navy SEAL throughout high school. That was the plan. Hey, I, I know how to work guns. I'm going to go do this. So I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. He's like, beast feast is a Navy SEAL gun come talk. I'm like, oh, cool. Awesome. Go. I come here. The people here were so welcoming. We come to su Sunday the very next day. I think that was a Saturday night. I think beast feast Saturday night. We come to the church the next Sunday or that Sunday morning. First thing that stood out, all these older women around us are like, we haven't met you before. We, we haven't met you. And they're introducing themselves. And then I see Matt. I'm like, Matt, what are you doing here? He's like, we go to church here. I'm like, what? You go to church here? We're, you're back here in Florence? Yeah. And to see, and now we go to church here. We were members in January, February. and been going here a year, gotten plugged in. But you know, I say, I say all this to, to, and I'm professor at UNA to show you that God and Jason, you, you said something on Sunday night, last Sunday. You said, we were talking, my testimony came up for a second, and I'd never thought about this, but it's the way you put it. You said, essentially, that maybe I had to go through that much stuff. I had to go through that. Maybe God let me go through that much stuff because that's exactly how much I needed to convert me, to convert me. To, to allow me to be changed, to allow me to see that I needed him. And, and that's just something I'd never thought about. And possibly, I'm sure that is correct. Um, but, you know, you, you hear this story, and there's other stories weaved in, and, and there's some stuff, again, I have to leave out and can't talk about. But you see how I went from this broken individual, broken, this world, I mean, it's just a broken place. And you can see the evil and, the, and the, just the meanness, just the meanness that's out there. And to be able to go from that and be saved at 17 at GoTel, because I'm thinking I'm going there to try and date a lady, and turns out I give my life over to Christ, turn my life around. And now to be here back in Florence, to know Matt Daniels, be as close with him, to be back and to be in this church and talking to you guys, for you guys to have taken me in as you have, uh, it's just a blessing. So, you know... There, again, there's some aspects of that story, my story, you maybe can't relate to, maybe you can. You know, I just pray over you men. Uh, just know that you are the leaders of this community. You're the leaders of this church. Brother Doug is our leader of this church. Um, and man, we just, um, God is great. He, he can do so many powerful and amazing things.